Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So yesterday, I was kind of away from work for most of the afternoon and somewhat unplugged from everything that was going on, but I don't know, it seems like it's impossible to ever be truly unplugged. And so you're hearing all these things kind of coming out, and I was hearing some negativity as it related to Jalen Carter's performance at Pro Day. And I'll tell you what the first thought I had was. Oh, here we go again. More unnamed sources, more, more you know, uh, anonymous uh, you know, sources, more people kind of behind the scenes, whisper campaign, trying to slander this guy. And typically speaking, when this kind of stuff goes on, I'm sort of led to assume that a lot of this is kind of as a way of deflating the player so that maybe he falls in the draft where the uh, maybe some team kind of wants him. It seems like there's some of that that goes on around NFL draft time. And I, you know, I was kind of led to conclude that, oh, well, maybe that's what's going on with Jalen Carter here. And yet the more you have a chance to kind of dig into this, talk to some people who are there, but also kind of see some of the media reporting once again from people who are there. I think you were left to conclude after yesterday, at least I was, after having been away, kind of hearing about this from afar, kind of the telephone game, and then finally getting a chance to kind of, you know, hear some first-person accounts on this or sort of see, uh, you know, what some, you know, on-the-record media reporting was, is that truly, indeed, Jalen Carter did not have a good day yesterday. I want to show you this as reported by Pete Thamel, ESPN, kind of laying it out there in a story for the network. Thamel on Twitter saying, ESPN update from Jalen Carter's pro day, where he was nine pounds heavier than he was at the NFL Combine and, quote, could not finish his position drills. The headline of the ESPN story, Georgia's defensive tackle Jalen Carter heavier struggles at pro day. There is very little wiggle room for interpretation on that. You were led to believe that it was not a good day from Jalen Carter. And who am I to disagree with that? If the people who were there say that's what they saw, it sounds like it was kind of a bad day for Carter. So let's treat that as if it's true, because really no one seems to dispute that here right now. So what does all of this mean? Certainly seems like Georgia fans are kind of struggling to make sense of this of, well, how do you process this for a guy who was so important for Georgia who really helped contribute to to Georgia's national championship by coming back from injury, by playing really big in the Tennessee game, and then being you know a part of this the rest of the way, who clearly at, at times has shown a level of athleticism, a level of dominance on the field that I don't know that's been matched by anybody over the course of the last couple of years. I think there's a chance when it's all said and done, the best NFL player from Georgia's back-to-back national championship. Now, we don't know how many years in the future this national championship run is going to go, but let's just say for right now what has been a back-to-back championship run the best player in the nfl from this era of georgia football may indeed be jalen carter i don't think anybody would be surprised if you look at the historic 2021 defense if carter ends up being the best pro from that team that's at least possibility and yet jalen does not seem to be taking the best care of himself right now in terms of demonstrating that to these nfl teams uh prior to the nfl draft a lot of georgia fans i think are rightly asking well, what is all that, all that about, and what does that mean? And that's even before you get into the off-field thing that's obviously gone on here. Uh, Jalen Carter was involved, had some presence at the uh, crash uh, that you know resulted in the loss of life for Devin Willick, Chandler LaCroix. There were misdemeanor charges coming his way because of that. But at this point in time, that's sort of been discussed. This, for now, just a football conversation. And it does not seem like that Jalen Carter is taking the best – care of his opportunity here from a football standpoint ahead of the nfl draft and that is why 
Kirby Smart's words of defense for Carter yesterday, I think are quite valuable. Now, before I let you hear what Kirby Smart said about Jalen Carter yesterday, I want to talk about this here for a moment. I think that Kirby Smart plays a very interesting role as it relates to Georgia football. Kirby gets a chance to be the defender of his players, the advocate for his players. But you do have to be really careful about how you advocate, uh, you know, how you support guys. You have to be very careful about how profusely you argue for them, because if you are proven wrong and if it can later be assumed that you must have known the real truth, but you didn't reveal the real truth, you were just sort of sticking up to support your guys. And there is a level of credibility that you no longer have anymore. And as a young coach, obviously Kirby Smart has a vested interest in maintaining his credibility to be believed when he talks to an NFL guy, to to be able to look at parents of future recruits and say, hey, we're going to develop you, we're going to get you where you need to be, and we're going to help you get to the NFL, that Kirby's credibility with NFL personnel men goes a long way towards him being able to do that. So, so Smart eventually defending Jalen Carter has, I believe, a lot of value to it. And as a way of kind of setting that up, let me give you an example here. You may remember this. It's been three weeks, a month ago, something like that. We played some audio for you of Chargers coach Brandon Staley as they were contemplating whether or not to draft Jamari Salyer. Salyer had some weird whispers about his health prior to last year's NFL draft. Ultimately, the, the, the Chargers took him. They took him late, but they took him nonetheless. And eventually, Jamari became a very important part of LA's offensive line here this season. But as Staley related the story in the NFL Network, it was a conversation that Staley had with Kirby Smart that made Brandon and the Chargers organization apparently feel okay about drafting Jamari. This is the kind of credibility that Kirby Smart has with NFL men. This is Brandon Staley from the NFL Network. When those guys walk across the stage, you're seeing a dream come true right before your eyes. And then now you have access to their families, their coaches, how they made it here. And it's just amazing. And last year, you know, my favorite story probably from my first two years is, you know, we picked Jamari Sawyer in the sixth round. Great this guy year. ends up like saving our season. Yeah. And um, I spoke at Kirby Smart's clinic at Georgia last year. And, you know, they had a million guys coming out. He does a great job. And uh, Jamari is a guy that we really loved in the draft process. You know, kind of the rounds are going. And there's some, you know, there's some stuff about, you know, some of his medical history, stuff like that. And um, But we love this player. And we're there. And it's getting like the sixth round. I call Kirby Smart on the phone. I'm Directly like, hey, man. I'm like, I, I'm like, hey, Kirby, you know, we need to talk. And, uh, you know, and just trying to find out for Tom and JoJo. And, um, you know, he just he says, hey, Brandon, I promise you this guy's the real deal and sure enough this guy we pick him he has a fantastic season and you know we probably picked him two or three rounds too late but right. you know better late than never but it's just one of those things where you're on the clock and you, you're trusting the relationships that you built with people and you're getting that information in real time and you know for us to go pick him um you know just a, it was a great moment for the charge you gotta get the picture on this for a moment brandon staley the chargers coach says i picked up the phone and called kirby smart directly well how did staley have kirby's phone that kind of gives you an idea that kirby's pretty well connected a lot of these nfl guys or the nfl guys are only one degree of separation away from being able to talk directly to kirby smart on the phone and as staley relays that story kirby smart says to him about jamari salyer a year ago brandon i promise you now listen i don't care if you're a football coach or an elementary school teacher or a politician or whatever else you only get one so-and-so, I promise you, and that ends up not being true. You get one promise, and the moment you don't keep one really big promise like this, because Brandon Staley's job is on the line, 
every single day, every NFL coach, every NFL GM, they are one series of mistakes away from being unemployed. And once you're out, it is not always easy to get back in. So these guys are very careful with the decisions they make. Kirby, what can you tell me about Jamari Salyer? We like this guy, but so-and-so says health about this and so-and-so saying this. What can you tell me about Jamari Salyer? Kirby Smart says, Brandon, I promise you. You know, Kirby Smart putting his his reputation on the line in support of Jamari Salyer. And if Kirby goes around throwing around false or fake or empty promises, if he goes around saying things about his players just to support his players that turns out not to be true, guess what? You can't get Brandon Staley on the phone the next time. You can't get Howie Roseman, the GM from the Philadelphia Eagles, who called last year Georgia a one-stop shop for the kind of NFL draft picks they want to make there in Philadelphia, a very smart organization trusting the Georgia players. That's no longer true if Kirby Smart doesn't keep his word. That's no longer true if Kirby Smart doesn't value his credibility in terms of how he advocates for his players as they move on to the NFL draft. Kirby Smart should take that seriously. We have every reason to believe that Kirby Smart does take that seriously. So in light of what was not a great NFL combine for uh, Jalen Carter yesterday, and in light of the fact that there, let's face it here, there are some off-field issues around Carter that also, I think, cloud the um, – the the judgment maybe the 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 evaluation of what carter is at the next level kirby smart stepping up speaking on behalf of jalen carter this carries a lot of weight in light of everything else that everybody might be saying right now defense from kirby after a bad day from jalen carter and a lot of questions about jalen uh which probably was inevitable anyway because when you start talking about i mean i got a lot of questions about trevon walker when he came out so there's a lot of questions generally but with the situation probably more um, questions and more direct and just try to be honest and uh, talk about the experiences we had with jalen here which um you know jalen did not have to come back and play after his first injury nor after his second injury and both times he wanted to overcome that injury he begged us to put him in in games he was hurt so the competitive character he's shown i think has been really good and I also think his teammates um, really respect Jalen like Jalen earned the respect of his teammates they uh, they love being around him so that's a lot of the things you can say about him once again that's Kirby Smart from yesterday I like the phrase that he uses competitive character in other words that's the part we can judge you know what is anybody like behind closed doors listen you don't know what I'm like behind closed doors. I don't know what you're like. Some of you I've met personally. I don't know what the real story with you is. We can all kind of put on a fake phony front when we need to. And judging what somebody might be like in their private life, that's not always an easy thing to do. And frankly, we try to steer clear of some of that kind of stuff. We evaluate what we can see. And as Kirby Smart says, the competitive character of Jalen Carter, the fact that he maybe didn't have to come back and play this year for Georgia, chose to and chose to play at a high level. And really, it was kind of a difference maker on what turned out to be a back-to-back national championship team. I think we're all really comfortable in saying that part of Jalen Carter, of course, we can make an evaluation on. And of course, Georgia fans like what they see on that. That's why so many of us are rooting for Jalen to to be a high NFL draft pick. And I believe that he still will be. I think the idea of Jalen Carter being the number one overall pick, that ship has probably sailed here at this point in time. But will Jalen Carter still be a very high first round pick and eventually a very rich man? It certainly seems like that's the case. And based on what Carter showed on the football field, I think that's the way that things should be. I've told you before. If I was an NFL GM, if I was an NFL personnel man, I am making the decisions about what I've seen on the field, what the tape shows, you know, the eye in the sky that doesn't lie. I'm making my decisions on that 
more so than I'm making my decisions on a pro day or a combine or what some people kind of call the underwear Olympics. I'm making my decision based on real football that has pads on, that includes 11 on 11, that includes full contact, that includes all of that. That kind of stuff wouldn't matter for me more than this other stuff. But admittedly, that is also for me a hypothetical situation. And in the real world, the average NFL GM, the average uh, NFL coach just has a lot less job security than Kirby Smart does. Smart is very successful and therefore likely to be employed for a very long time. The average NFL guy of the average one of 32 teams is just not nearly as likely to be employed for nearly as long. They are much more risk averse. And you can say, and I probably do say this a lot, they're too risk averse and they get too caught up in things that ultimately might not matter. But that's easy for me to say because it's not my job on the line if they make a bad decision. And all of this at times kind of comes down to the story that you tell. And a bad pro day to go along with another concern, all of a sudden one plus one equaling two on that becomes the kind of thing that's just going to scare some GMs away. So there is a degree to which that I hope these NFL teams do listen to Kirby Smart. And there's a degree which, as a Georgia fan, I feel very good about the fact that Smart is openly speaking on behalf of Jalen Carter because I believe that Kirby Smart believes what he's saying, and I believe that not only does he want to do right by his guy, he also knows that what he says better be true or he doesn't have the platform to say that anymore to these NFL guys in the future about his future Georgia players. Smart probably takes that very seriously. But also you have to acknowledge here, and this is you know the kind of thing we don't talk about a ton, but you do have to acknowledge here, there is an element of which in which as you kind of move through your college experience into your professional life, whatever your chosen profession might be, that your development years are done and now you have personal responsibility for the man that you become. And that's the transition you see as college players move on to the NFL. And they have to answer for maybe every decision they have made or every decision they're currently making and what kind of investment they choose to be for the NFL teams they're going to play for. And Jalen Carter's been dealing with some of that uh, this offseason already. There was the thing from Todd McShay a, a few weeks ago that most of us thought was probably unfair because we didn't seem to know where McShay was coming from on that. Frankly, I still feel that way. That's the example of, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the sort of whisper campaign, unnamed source that doesn't hold a lot of weight with me. But it was a big deal prior to the Peach Bowl. And when Carter met with the media there in Atlanta prior to that game against Ohio State, he kind of addressed the idea of, you know, folks saying bad stuff about him. It's different bad stuff now. But but nonetheless, this is an issue that Jalen Carter has addressed along his way to being one of the top players taking this upcoming NFL draft. This is what Jalen said about that back in December. A, a, a TV guy says, oh, he, he might have a character issue, and we're looking at it like this guy's out here playing 40 snaps a game, you know, with a career on the line. How did you – How did you? we've asked your teammates, but how did you personally feel when you heard that, and how did you respond to that? Um, yeah, I had somebody come up and tell me about that, but I didn't really let it get to me because I know my character is not bad around my team and uh, on and off the field, so – I just let my team, I saw a couple of my teammates spoke about it, and I just said, I'm going to let my teammates speak about it. I really have nothing to say. So let me see if I can kind of sort of sum all this up this way. Um, I'm really glad that Kirby Smart spoke up in defense of Jalen Carter yesterday, and I am really, really rooting for him to go on and have an NFL career and you know maybe clear up some of the confusion that exists around him right now i'm really rooting for him to be able to do that i'm also quite confident that georgia has provided a great support system for him the same way that it provides a great support system for all the players who come through that program but there's also a point in which the player becomes untethered from that and he becomes his own man as he moves on to the next phase of his life and 
the responsibility now rests on Jalen to go out there and be the man and the player that we all believe he has a chance to be. And boy, I hope he gets a chance to figure all this out and show exactly to the NFL world the player that we've all thought he's had the potential to be for the entirety of his career. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Meriwether and Tharp, and we're glad to have you with us no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 945 for our first and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, glad to have you as a part of the program today. Big thanks to our friends at Meriwether and Tharp, making it all possible there as well. For those of you that tune in on video, for those of you that tune in via podcast, radio, however you get to us. We're just glad you're here and really, really thankful to our friends at Meriwether and Tharp who make it all possible. You know, Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. And I do realize, listen, hey, that's a tough conversation. That's a scary reality for a lot of people, either because you've been through one, you think you might go through one, you're fearful that one day you might have to go through one. It is not a, uh, a, a, a sort of a you know neutral emotion necessarily. There's a lot of energy and not all of it positive brought up by something like that. Totally get it. But it's also a reality in some cases. Listen, confronting reality is an important part of life here. And so if that's where you kind of find yourself of, hey, I've tried to fix my relationship. I've tried to maybe even pretend that things aren't the way they are. That's not working either. Now it's simply a matter of confronting reality as it is. Well, listen, the best way to do that is to have a strong advocate on your side to walk through this with you. And that's what Meriwether and Tharp is all about, because the law, as it relates to the divorce situation, can kind of be kind of complicated. It seems like the law sort of always is for those of us who are not lawyers. But luckily, not only do the folks there at Meriwether and Tharp, their great collection of attorneys, not only do they understand the law as it relates to you, I think they're also really good at explaining the law. I've had lunch with you know Bob Tharp a million times, and we've had meals together, and we talk about this kind of stuff, and I'm always amazed at how Bob is so good at kind of explaining aspects of this that I would never consider because that's just the way it is, is that, you know, most people only go through this uh, maybe one or two times. Uh, uh, Some people never go through this, but Meriwether and Tharp has been through this thousands of times. And so when you have that kind of institutional experience, you understand all of the sort of tricky, weird things that kind of pop up here on that. And you become, in in their case, very good at explaining that pathway to their clients. So my advice to you is have that free initial consultation with one of the Meriwether and Tharp attorneys. Tell your story, and sometimes it's just kind of nice to have somebody to listen to your story. And then beyond that, you know, make the decision to hire Meriwether and Tharp to kind of walk with you through this divorce process. They are the theatlantadivorceteam.com. That's the website, the theatlantadivorceteam.com. Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. All right, we're going to get Terrence Edwards coming up here in a couple of minutes. Always enjoying the chance to talk to uh, Terrence. We'll talk to him about what happened with Jalen yesterday what's going on with Georgia spring practice here right now prior to that though I want to go around the doghouse and another Georgia player that was in the spotlight yesterday for a completely different reason than the NFL scouting combine was quarterback Stetson Bennett and the sense that I get from having once again talked to people who were kind of watching this closely and what the media reports overall were that it was a pretty good day for Bennett for those of you who watched a lot of this stuff closely would you say that combine may have been better than pro day would you have maybe said it that way if, if that's an incorrect assessment of that you let me know uh, but sort of the sense that maybe I got on this uh, Bennett was asked yesterday about these kinds of things being different once again than real football something we addressed a moment ago as it related to Jalen Carter here was Stetson sort of thought about you know the the workout part of this kind of being a little bit different than what you're doing in an 11 on 11 football situation Stetson Bennett from yesterday it's really 
you know, for the for the scouts and for for all that, um, you know, how they look at or how they use it or to determine back up the film or you know maybe something they didn't see. I don't know, uh, but you know, it's something we got to do. So. On the field, there's so much going on, uh, you know, other stuff. Here, it's routes on air. How does the ball look coming out of his hand? You know, anticip anticipation, different kind of routes. You know, it's strictly strictly physical. Um, besides avoiding the rush and all that stuff. So, listen, the sense that I get from Stetson yesterday is, and maybe throughout the entire pre-draft process thus far, is I don't know that he's aced the test the way that he describes there. Of, hey, this is all about making the throws. This is all about kind of the evaluation process of this. This is a more isolated evaluation than what you see in a football field where you're making decisions, you're using your athleticism, you're throwing on the run, you're kind of showing some moxie that this is a little bit more isolated, a little less uh, opportunity for kind of the intangible stuff to kind of bleed into this. This is simply a tangible measurement. Um, and the sense that I get is, is that Bennett may not have aced the test, but he certainly passed the test. And y'all, that is no small thing here because if you would have told me this time a year ago, or if you would have asked me this time a year ago, do you think that Stetson Bennett is an NFL quarterback? I think my answer to that question probably would have been no. That Stetson, hey, is a great college quarterback. He's brought Georgia its first national championship more than 40 years. And the phrase I probably would have used is, and there is nothing wrong with being a great college quarterback. There is nothing to apologize for for being a great college quarterback. Because after all, me and a lot of you, we like college football better than the NFL anyway. So being a great college quarterback, whether it be you know Stetson Bennett at Georgia or Tommy Frazier at Nebraska or so-and-so at wherever – that, that there is just sort of sometimes sort of something to be said for being a part of college football's history, and that's just sort of enough. And this time a year ago, I guess that's probably what I thought that Stetson Bennett was. But now here we are a year later, and it's one more year of accomplishment on the field that includes some pretty impressive statistical feats. It's overall a situation where in the NFL scouting, scouting combine and pro day, it really seemed like that Bennett has at least passed the test of the kind of requisite throws that NFL quarterbacks need to make that now I have, I think correctly so, upgraded my opinion of Stetson Bennett. I believe that Stetson Bennett is now an NFL quarterback. And does he get drafted in the third or fourth round? Is it more like the fourth or fifth round? Well, you know, who really knows there on that? There's all kinds of variables at play on that. But one way or another, Bennett's going to be drafted. And one way or another, I believe that Bennett's going to be on an NFL roster. So what we see taking place with Stetson here is, uh, even in the midst of some kind of weirdness for him over the course of the last couple of months too, uh, for different reasons, what we see is, is I think the growth of a player to the point where now he is rightly so decidedly on NFL rosters. And obviously the more the conversation for Stetson kind of veers back to the stuff on the field, the better it works out for him there as well. Buster Faulkner, who's now the Georgia Tech offensive coordinator, and this may be the only time we've ever given a favorable uh, uh, example of uh, a Georgia Tech coach here on this show using using a Tech coach's words with any kind of credibility whatsoever. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, Faulkner now at Tech, I, I saw this on uh, social media, on Twitter being kind of relayed here. So uh, Kelly Quinlan, who is uh, a guy that's reported on Tech, covered Tech for a long time, uh, writes and says that Buster Faulkner, the new Tech offensive coordinator, said that Stetson Bennett is maybe the toughest human he's ever been around, and that's why he won the quarterback job at UGA over more gifted players he's looking for the same thing at georgia tech with the quarterback position so i think that's really nice from faulkner and i think that's a really great way to describe stetson bennett who was counted out to ever be the starting quarterback at georgia a couple of times and rose the occasion every single time because you're led to believe whether it be mental or physical toughness he was just tougher than his competition 
and that toughness that he showed on the field that made him such a successful player to the tune of back-to-back national championships. I think NFL teams are going to notice that there as well. Now, you've got to be able to make the throws. You've got to be able to be physically what the position requires. And Bennett may not be quite up there with Anthony Richardson on that, but he was a far better player on the field than AR ever was. And as you get closer to the draft, the more the full picture of Stetson, I think, is going to be considered. And something that I would not have considered to be a very likely possibility this time a year ago seems obvious now. Stetson Bennett's going to be an NFL quarterback. That is Around the Doghouse. This is Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp. Now, before we're done, there is a little bit of new controversy here, although it seems like there's strong disagreement on the actual facts. Additional controversy here as it relates to Alabama's basketball team as they are the number one overall seed for the NCAA tournament that begins today. More tough questions being asked about a horrible situation uh, that's connected to that program. Uh, We'll give you the new details on that. We'll also have some fun kind of talking about the outlook for a couple of the other uh, SEC teams uh, here in this NCAA tournament. That's all before all said and done. And I'm going to give you this there as well. Something that won't happen for Georgia in the very near future, but maybe before too much longer, maybe a really cool thing the Georgia football team might be able to do following the path of another SEC football team. I'll tell you more about that before we're all said and done. For now, though, on everything as it relates to Georgia, pro day yesterday, spring practice ongoing, what it all means. Let's do that right now. Welcome in Terrence Edwards here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We bring on Terrence Edwards here, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. And Terrence, I'm always happy to have your perspective on things because you're a former player, you're a current coach, you're even working as a personal coach with a lot of guys. And so you kind of know the value of some of these workouts, whether it be a high school player who's trying to do a workout to get the college scholarship offer, or a guy like Jalen Carter trying to show NFL teams he's worthy of being a top five or a top 10 pick. It seems like the consensus from people who were at pro day yesterday was Jalen Carter did not have a good day and maybe less than stellar physical condition may have been part of the reason that didn't occur you know Terrence what do you make of what we've heard about Jalen here over the course of the last 24 hours I I think a lot of the uh workouts and shorts and t-shirts is a little overrated uh I think we overreact in a positive or negative way when a guy have a good or bad day in T-shirts and shorts. Uh, my biggest thing is I think the teams will go back and have a discussion about Jaden Carter. I think the people who really intend to draft him at a high draft pick will have personal conversations with him, try to really get to know the young man and see if this, if this is a blimp or this is who he is. So I think they would, the NFL is going to spend it <laughs> however much money it needs to get to know this young man inside and out. But at the end of the day, uh, turn on the tape. The tape the tape tells you more than anything. And it's inexcusable to come to workouts out of shape and heavier than normal. That, that's on Jaden. Jaden has to eat that and understand that was his job in interview. But I wouldn't put a lot of stock, just me, into someone working out in T-shirts and shorts. Turn on the film and see how dominant the young man was and I think will be in the NFL. But it's not a good look to come out of shape and not finish the workouts. 
And, you know, it's one of those things where, like, Jalen's not the only guy that this kind of stuff is being discussed about in the pre-draft situation. I know Keishon Butte, the wide receiver from LSU, I guess he didn't run a very good 40 time during the NFL scouting combine. And as somebody who I'm sure has trained players to get ready for some of these workouts, and you've done your own personal workouts going back to your own career there, too, um, you know, if, if you're the player or if you're part of that player's camp, going into a pro day situation like this, you probably know, right? I mean, it's one of those things of – if you're set up for a great workout you probably know and if you're maybe not set up for that success if you're carrying a little extra weight compared to what you were at the combine Jalen's camp probably knew this going in right I'm guessing they probably weren't surprised by what happened yesterday or or, or maybe not well they shouldn't they they this camp should have been on top of this and continue to have this young man continue to be the best he could be I think this was an opportunity I mean opportunity of a lifetime even though uh the Bears traded out the number one pick that you had opportunity to be the first defensive player taken, uh, possibly the first pick. And with everything going on surrounding you, you have to come into that job interview flawless. So now it's, I mean, we all, and I think it still had some legitimacy to it, but we all crushed uh, McShay about his character issues, which, we all believe that still was false, but now he has some validity to talk about character issues with him again, with the incident that happened, then him coming into this workout not in the best shape that he could be in. I mean, you can look at Nolan Smith. Nolan Smith came into this uh, with, in the best shape of his life because he understands what's in state. Uh, I, I had a conversation with a friend yesterday. A defensive staff was debating Will Allenson or Jalen Carter and they're neck and neck, I think now you're going to think about Will Allison at that position because yeah. of the off-the-field issue. So it's a lot – It's a, it was a, a interview that he didn't uh, pass, but in this draft process, he's going to get – he's going to be getting many more opportunities to either silence the noise or continue to hear the noise in his personal workouts with these NFL teams. On the subject of Stetson Bennett for a moment, what I said before you joined us was – is that I don't know that he aced these kinds of workouts, but he certainly passed the test, right? You know, I mean, maybe some of the deep throws yesterday could have a little been a bit better, but I thought the deep throws at the Combine, you know, the best that I could tell, they looked pretty good. And the overall throwing performance from Bennett yesterday seemed to be fine. The point I'm getting to here is, is if you want to tell me there are 32 quarterbacks better than Stetson Bennett, okay, that may be true right now. He may not be an NFL starter. But I don't believe there are 64 quarterbacks better than Stetson Bennett right now. I believe he could be a team's number two quarterback this time a, a year from now. Let me tell you something, Terrence. That ain't a bad life. There are some backup quarterbacks who have banked millions over the course of a long career here. Uh, I believe that Stetson Bennett's probably an NFL quarterback this time a year ago. I'm not so sure I thought that. Probably didn't. But I think now I, I think I probably do. And to me, that is a remarkable story. Some off-field kind of annoyances here over the course of the last few weeks, I guess. But but that notwithstanding, I believe that Stetson Bennett is now on his way to an NFL career, and he deserves a lot of credit for the player he's made himself into. So I had a conversation with one of my best friends who we're not going to hold it against him. We grew up together, played in Washington County, uh, graduated together, but he ended up going to Alabama, so we, we're okay. not going to hold that okay. against him. Okay. Um, but we had a conversation about backup quarterbacks, and we were just talking about Chase Daniels. Chase Daniels uh, spent 14, 15 years in the NFL, and I think he made over $40 million. And we got on A.J. McCarron. And A.J. McCarron spent eight years, I think, in the NFL and made about $15 million. So it's 
So, you know, being a backup quarterback does have has its perks. Uh, I, I personally, and I tweeted this kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I believe it will happen. I think in the third to fourth round, I think Baltimore Ravens would draft Interesting. Stetson. Uh, Interesting. Just because of Todd Monken. Uh how many quarterbacks get to come into an organization that already knows the offense running back? So his learning curve is not going to be as, as deep as another other quarterbacks they may draft. So Monty, I'm pretty sure Todd loves him. Uh, he he understands the offense, and I'm not saying that Stetson would be an NFL uh, pro bowler, but I think if Todd gives him opportunities, I think he'll be able to last as long as Todd is there. And then maybe once he really truly learned the NFL game, even if Coach Monk can leave, he will understand the NFL game. But I just predict it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I kind of believe that the Baltimore Ravens will draft Stetson in probably third or fourth round. How about uh, spring practice? That's also kind of gotten kicked off here this week, and we're trying to listen for anything we can about what's going on there. How about some early thoughts from you? What are you hoping to see from Georgia this spring, Terrence? You know, just for me, it's the quarterback situation right now. We all kind of uh, – going into this and, and trying to figure out which quarterback is going to be the guy. I mean, you know, they got a big shoes to fill from Stetson. Out. And it's kind of funny, this time of year last year, everybody was trying to boot Stetson out as the starting quarterback, and he only led us to another national That's championship. Right. So the, the it, it goes now, who's going to come after him? And Carson Begg, uh, Brock Vandegrift, and, and Gunnar Stockton now uh, are the three candidates. And, it, and it's kind of funny that – Maybe Carson had a leg up if Coach Munchen would have stayed, but now it's, it's Coach Bobo eyes. So he may like another thing out of a quarterback. So I think it's going to be a true competition, and I'm ready to see uh, these guys compete. And, and you know me, I love the receiver position. Yeah. And I, I spoke with, with Lad the other day about some other things. I just asked him uh, about the young guys. And one thing he told me, that they all got some juice. Oh, they, they, they all can run. So – I'm excited to see Anthony Evans, Yaziz, Haynes, and, and uh, Williams, I think his last name is that. I'm ready to see them uh, contribute. I'm ready to see the tight ends. I'm ready to see Lawson, who I've trained. I'm ready to see Pearson, who I've trained. They got an opportunity to be the third and fourth tight end now. Um, so I'm just ready to see those young guys come in and understand the way Georgia uh, plays, how they practice, and, and their head is going to be spinning because this is their first practice with the team in a full capacity, not the bowl games. So I'm just interested to see that. Um, I'm interested to see who takes over for, for Keely Ringo. That's that's another position that I'm interested in who takes that. It's going to be Dylan Everett. It's going to be A.J. Harris, the newcomer. Um, Nylon Green has been there for a while. So I'm just ready to see who takes that next step and who becomes the leader in that secondary with Keely and especially Chris Smith leaving. When you talk to these tight ends who are on their way to Georgia right now, you know, guys like Lawson or, or Pierce, I got to imagine, because I did talk to Oscar Delp about this, you know, right, right before he came to Georgia, and I got to imagine that Lawson and Pierce are kind of the same way, that the idea of coming to Georgia as a tight end now has got to be such a completely different feeling compared to what it would be for almost any other program and probably what it was like at Georgia, you know, for, for many, many years prior to this, where all of a sudden now, you step onto the field of Georgia as a tight end, believing the sky's the limit for how good of a player I can be. I mean, Brock Bowers is one of the best players in the entire country right now. Uh, Darnell Washington has, I think, a, a very good chance, more likely than not, that he's a first-round pick. 
that all of a sudden this is kind of a glamour position at Georgia in a way that it's really not for a lot of other programs. I can imagine for guys like Lawson and Pierce uh, that the excitement of that uh, has just got to be off the charts. They've got to be so energized by the opportunity that exists with them at Georgia. Now, listen, year one, their guys may be ahead of them, but but the future for a Georgia tight end has got to be so bright, and these guys must recognize that. I think so. I think this tight end room uh, is much deeper and better. Nothing against the guys that have transferred out, but I think Piercy and Lawson are two tremendous tight ends. I don't think uh, in the recruiting cycle a lot of people gave Lawson Luckett a, a fair shake. Uh, I think you're going to be very surprised once – the Georgia fans get the opportunity to see both of those young guys. Very different. Uh, Pierce is almost 6'7", and he's definitely almost 245 now. Lawson is 6'3", 6'4", but a tremendous route runner. So they're very different in their route. Lawson is a very good blocker because he had to do that at Norcross. Pierce played a lot more outside wide receiver. Um, so he's a tremendous route runner as well, but just being able to catch the football at 6'7". So those two guys, along with Oscar and Brock, I think the tight end room is in good hands once after this season, once Brock departs to be a top five pick in the NFL draft. And uh, listen, I think you're, first of all, absolutely right about that. I absolutely believe that Brock could be drafted that high. And you mentioned the uh, cornerback situation there as well. Really the entire secondary. Isn't that fascinating right now? Cornerback position, that's a battle that's going to be ongoing. The safety position with Christopher Smith moving on. And to me, Terrence, you know, that safety spot's one in which hey, Georgia always seems to have that great safety. Maybe Malachi Starks is the next in line after Christopher Smith's departure, but that's a big deal. You know, how you use a guy like Javon Bullard, who was a great nickelback for you this past year. Georgia calls it a star. But gosh, he could probably play safety or corner either one if he had to. The whole situation with the secondary, because it's been such a big part of Georgia's success, and also because you got some real open positions there right now, all of that to me is going to be a ton of fun to watch. Oh, yes, it is. I mean, I'm fascinated to see um, uh, Julian Humphreys. I'm excited to see I'm, – I'm excited to see Dylan Everett. I'm excited to see some of the young guys that we brought in, A.J. Harris. I'm excited to see these young guys go out and compete and understand that there's a spot that's open. I mean, there's two spots. There's a safety spot and there's a corner spot. So I'm ready to see who, who takes control of that uh, position. I'm ready to see who takes the leadership position in the back end. I think Malachi Stark uh, – I can believe he can because, you know, coming out of high school, I might be a little biased, but the guys who play quarterback are usually the leaders on the team. And he definitely was a, a quarterback a leader on his Jefferson uh, Dragons team. So I think he can uh, morph into the, the back-end leader. I mean, his talent speaks for itself. Uh, he may – I'm just thinking uh, we did have uh, Lewis Singh and those guys, but he's in that mess of – probably being one of the most talented safeties that Georgia's ever had. That's that's the type of talent Malachi Starks brings to the table. So I'm excited to see his growth as a leader. Uh, I will be definitely, once I get the opportunity to go, just seeing his, him being able to talk. Um, a leader has to talk and put everybody in position. I think he learned from Chris Smith. Being able to play a lot alongside Chris Smith, I think he a lot of the, the intangibles work, work, will rub off on you. Um, so I, I'm looking to see if they did. So I'm excited for this group. Uh, I'm excited to see this team. I'm excited to see uh, post that's Bennett and what the quarterback brings to the table and who just who just takes control of this team and makes it their team. Uh, and that's what makes a good leader. I'm excited to see these young guys compete. 
Tomorrow, uh, Terrence, we're going to talk to Jeff Sintel, and one of the guys we'll talk about is five-star quarterback Dylan Raiola, who's expected to visit Georgia here this weekend. I know you like watching film. I'm assuming you've maybe seen a little bit of Dylan Raiola. Uh, what do you think this quarterback brings to the table, and how big of a deal is it for Georgia to be this far down the road having a chance to win with a, a quarterback who I believe, you want to compare him to like the Arch Mannings and some of the big guys in recent years, I think that Dylan, from a talent standpoint, probably stacks up with anybody. How much of Dylan, if at all, have you seen? I've seen him, and one thing that stands out, he's a big kid. Right now at 16, 17 years old, already listed at 6'3", around 220 pounds. So he's a big kid, and I've watched his film, and uh, he's able to extend the place with his legs. He's not a statue in the pocket, uh, throws a, a really good ball, and he's rated the number one quarterback for a reason. Uh, so it's important to kind of identify those guys, and I mean, even with Arch Manning last year, and we identify Dylan, and we also have another quarterback out of uh, Connecticut. But yeah, that's right. When 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 the top receiver sees the number one quarterback, is very interested in school. Trust me, they see that. Uh, I think the two receivers out of Shadowmon down in Miami yeah. kind of understands that if Dylan goes there, we're going to definitely think about where we want to play because top receivers wants to play with top quarterbacks. So not let alone we're getting an outstanding player, we're getting a player that other players are going to migrate to. So number one quarterback comes, he's going to recruit other top playmakers to come as, come as well with him. So it's a recruiting tool at the end of the day as well. We're, we're, we're getting a good player, but it's also a recruiting tool to try to get the number one quarterback to commit now and let your quarterback go in and recruit other top players. Uh, Terrence, that's such good stuff. Thank you so much for your time being uh, here today. And, of course, I know you're also giving your time there as well and that bubble work right now, getting these guys ready for spring practice coming up around the state of Georgia and also for their own future college careers in so many cases there as well. If people want to be a part of the Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy, uh, how can they get in touch with you? How can they be a part of some of that work that you're doing here on a weekly basis? Well, you can find me on all social media platforms at Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. Terrence, great stuff. Thanks for your time. I love talking football with you. We'll look forward to doing it soon. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right. uh, As we transition here from Terrence Edwards to our SEC Through, I also have some breaking news literally just coming in a couple of minutes ago, and it involves Jalen Carter, the man we talked about off the top of the show. Apparently, Chip Towers, Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporting, that Carter's entered a plea of no contest to the charges of racing and reckless driving going back to the Devin Willick Chandler LaCroix uh, uh, car crash from back in uh, January and I guess he's going to be sentenced here to 12 months probation a thousand dollar fine and 80 hours of community service um, and he also uh, I guess there's like a you know a driver safety thing he has to go through there on that so it seems like the misdemeanor charges that Carter was already facing, on the base of this, it sounds like that's all this is going to be. And it sounds like that matter has now been resolved on this. Um, and by pleading no contest and by getting the probation, it seems like you know this is going to work out for him, legally speaking, about as favorably as it could. To be completely honest with you, I, many, many years ago, I pleaded no contest to a uh, big excessive speeding ticket. At the time, for me, I had to negotiate to plead no contest. So I'm assuming there had to be a little bit of a behind-the-scenes negotiation here on the idea of accepting the no contest plea. That's what was true for me. That may be true here. I'm obviously not a lawyer. But um, uh, in this particular situation, 
it seems like there is a legal resolution to all of this and i guess there's also some reports out there too now this is new for me so um we'll i'm sure have additional reporting on this at dognation.com but um uh, kim stevens who's the attorney for jalen carter is also saying that carter never left the scene of the acts there have been some reporting that he had then he returned stevens carter's attorney is saying that was not true that carter did not leave the scene of the acts at one point in time jalen said that there would be new information that comes out that exonerates him maybe this is an example of what he's talking about from their perspective saying that he did not leave the uh, scene of the accident you can read more about that and kind of follow where this goes but not being a lawyer just kind of hearing about this in the moment legally speaking it seems like there has now been resolution to the misdemeanor charges that carter was facing so you know what does that mean for him going forward i don't know but that would appear to be the situation there on that right now uh reporting from chip towers line journal constitution on that uh no contest to those two misdemeanor charges all right so that is that now we'll get ready to go cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean <laughs> tell you i am not in the world's greatest mood today i'm sort of tired of talking about some of these stories uh so right now i really really wish i was on a royal caribbean cruise vacation i'd love to be on one right now especially with it being a little colder than um a little little colder than i would prefer it being uh around here the last couple days there as well so the next best thing for me is closing my eyes because you've heard me say before that for me it's almost as fun anticipating your next royal caribbean cruise vacation as it is actually being on the vacation and i'm just slightly ahead of a week uh, a month away from independence of the seas with so many of you a part of our second ever cruise the dog nation i'm hearing from so many of you you're so excited about being there i'm excited about being there with you yo we're going to have a great time we're going to let our hair down we're going to relax we're going to get away from it all and i can't wait to do it and if you want the same kind of experience it's probably too late to get on the dog nation cruise but it's not too late to start thinking about your own royal uh, caribbean cruise vacation this spring heading towards the summer great time to start planning those summer vacations and of course anything else in 2023 there as well jessica slater i believe is a great travel agent to book it for you you can give jessica a call 770-718-9147 770-718-9147 and if you want to live vicariously for those of us going to be on the dog nation cruise you can check out the website that jessica has constructed royaldogs.com for more on that uh it's going to be a great time we can't wait to see you there and any royal caribbean cruise vacation going to be a great time there too so three night four night seven night whatever suits your taste or your agenda your schedule you can get all of that uh from our friend jessica slater she'll help you get a great royal caribbean cruise vacation all right let's talk about the sec through here for a moment and there was an interesting report at the new york times kind of ahead of the start of the ncaa tournament here today and it's being disputed by alabama what new york times reporting is there is a walk-on alabama player who happens to be the son of an athletic director as well not at alabama uh but a walk-on alabama player who was in the vehicle with brandon miller when miller uh arrived to pick up a now former alabama player and his friend who has been charged with a you know, very serious murder charge here stemming from a shooting a lot of you are aware kind of some of the details on that new york times reporting there was another alabama basketball player in the vehicle with miller uh, alabama is disputing this alabama is saying they know of no information that would lead them to believe that another alabama player was with miller the walk-on was questioned about this he said he was not allowed to talk about it 
Uh, all of this is really weird. Uh, big report from the New York Times. The New York Times also tracked down. This is the part that no one seems to have noticed from that original story. The New York Times also tracked down one of the people who was wearing the controversial, you know, obviously distasteful teacher of the sec tournament uh this past week with the idea of murdering their way through the sec new york times has identified one of those guys and kind of uh put him into the story there too so the new york times kind of went deep on this issue involving alabama basketball but the basketball program itself is disputing the facts on this you know by way of opinion i'll tell you this is that i'm no huge fan of jay billis normally speaking but in this particular case i sort of agree with billis legally speaking i really don't know what right Alabama has to tell Brandon Miller he can't play basketball he is not charged with anything but from a from sort of a real world kind of outside of the the legalese part of this I don't know how much more you could be involved in a very scary and bad situation without it just being too weird to play basketball other than this because the, you know, the car that Miller was in was was hit by gunfire apparently according to the New York Times what they were reporting like I haven't read tons of details about this until uh, I guess just recently, I've been sort of generally aware the story was going on, um, and 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 now there's the idea of another Alabama basketball player potentially being present at the scene, which would be a total of I think four basketball players at the time from Bama who were there uh, with this with this uh, shooting that left someone dead. Very very serious, but it's also fair to point out up to this point in time. Miller has not been accused of a crime. He has not been charged with a crime. He was what Nate Oates originally said in the wrong place at the wrong time. Oates then decided that he maybe uh, didn't describe that exactly the way that he wanted to. But but the point is, is that Miller was present at what turned out to be a shooting and uh, traveled with the gun that was that was used. His lawyers say that he didn't know he was bringing that gun to the scene, even though he was texted to ask to do that. This is a messy situation, and extra New York Times reporting on this, the Alabama disputes, makes it just a little bit messier. So this will continue to be a very big controversy throughout the run of the NCAA tournament. After all, the Crimson Tide is the number one overall seed. Now, bringing it back to the idea of basketball here just for a moment, I think it's going to be a very interesting tournament for a couple of SEC teams. And to me, there is going to be, I think rightly so, big spotlight on Kentucky big spotlight on Tennessee now obviously Alabama they're the number one overall seed but beyond that you know Kentucky's got a round one game against Providence fresh off losing a round one game a year ago to St. Peter's and one of the most embarrassing losses in NCAA tournament history and you know Kentucky's been kind of one of these up and down teams that you know sometimes they seem to have together sometimes they don't I think it is very fair to question the coaching job that John Calipari's been doing there he's clearly a cultivator of future NBA talent but if I'm a Kentucky basketball fan I don't want to be the North Charleston Logators or one of these like NBA G League teams. You know, I, 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 want, to, I want to be uh, was it the College Park Skyhawks, whatever the Hawks G League team is. I, I don't want to be some G League team. I want to be a college basketball national championship contender. And Kentucky hasn't been one of those in forever. So you think round one against team like Providence, every Kentucky starter is better than his counterpart for the Friars. Every single one. 
there is no excuse for Kentucky losing this round one game and frankly not going on a little bit of a run after that. This seems to be a little bit of a wide open region in which they find themselves. Uh, John Calipari needs to go on a run. And if Kentucky doesn't do that this year, then you're left to conclude, when is Calipari ever going to do that, Kentucky? And really, he may truly be as overrated as some have suggested him to be as of late. If you've got future NBA guys, you can't win with them in college, then you just may not be that good of a coach. And that is what Calipari has facing him as you move through the month of March here. And on the other note, when it looks at Tennessee, who eventually could be staring what like a sweet six, a sweet sixteen matchup with with Duke potentially. Um, you know, this is not exactly the, the Duke teams of old. And for Tennessee, who kind of fashions itself as you know the best athletic program in the SEC right now because they were at one point in time number one in football this year. Uh, they had a baseball team that was number one for a good portion of the year last year. They got a basketball team that I think was, you know, ranked at or very near the top for much of this season. They can they can kind of point to all the uh, teams they've had that have been ranked near the top of the country in their various sport. But guess what? When it was all said and done, uh, Tennessee got embarrassed by uh, South Carolina in football. Uh, baseball team got knocked out in what the NCAA was it super regional against uh, Notre Dame or was it the regional either way they didn't make the college world series uh, I sort of feel like the basketball team is about to get bounced in similar fashion that if you're a Tennessee program you know uh, their athletic director Danny White makes that like a gazillion dollars he has a very big contract uh, just recently uh, you know signed an extension if you're Tennessee here after having a lot of sports teams ranked at or near the top of the rankings in their various sports, it may be about time for you to turn in a postseason performance on, on one of these deals here. I'm not quite so sure the basketball team's capable of doing that, uh, but certainly they face some winnable games along the way here, so there's no reason why they shouldn't. But if previous Tennessee uh, athletic performances to be your guide, then they probably won't. So that's a couple of SEC teams I think are probably worth your time. And then to bring it back to football here just for a moment. So I saw where we already have an announcement as it relates to the 2024 college football season opener that's going to take place between LSU and USC and Las Vegas. Now, the reason why we can make these announcements now is because uh, in 2024, all these games are going to be like the ESPN family of networks. And so ESPN doesn't have to wait you know, to see what everybody else does. They control all of this content in the future. And so they got LSU uh, and USC locked up. But my point in telling you all this is, how much fun would this be for Georgia? The idea of playing USC in Las Vegas, you know, like one of the things the Pac-12 has said, and I actually think they're fairly, um, I, I think this is a fair point to bring up. They feel like part of their harsh judgment as a poor football conference is based on the idea that in the beginning of the year, you have teams like Oregon traveling to Atlanta to play Georgia and therefore, traveling west to east, they have a, a, a unfair – they're at a disadvantage having to have that kind of travel. And listen, there's no excuse for losing 49-3, to and it should have been a shutout, 49 nothing. There's no excuse for that. But generally speaking, I'm sort of sympathetic to the Pac-12's argument here of, hey, if you really want to judge us as a conference, give us a chance to play more of these games in kind of the Pacific times. The problem is there aren't enough people out west to care about college football to get uh, SEC teams want to travel there. But when you bring Las Vegas into the fold, all of a sudden that's different. For those of you who pay attention to some kind of stuff, Las Vegas is a city that's completely kind of transformed the last couple of years. You know, this used to be kind of obviously been a casino town forever. But, you know, the idea of this being like a nightlife destination, you know, nightclubs, day clubs, things like that, it's kind of changed a little bit here recently. Las Vegas is a little bit more of a sporting destination. All the conference basketball tournaments take place there. Pac-12 title game takes place there. They're going to host a Super Bowl, I think, next year. I'm sure eventually they'll host national championships as well. 
Uh, and they're going to start hosting, much like Atlanta has with the uh, Chick-fil-A kickoff, or Dallas has, Charlotte has. Las Vegas also going to be a little bit of a destination for these these week one early non-conference kickoff type games there as well, including LSU-USC in 2024. I got to tell you, I hope that Josh Brooks and Kirby Smart and all those key decision makers of Georgia, I hope they're getting in line on this. Wouldn't you like to do a dog nation invasion to Las Vegas? How much fun would that be? I don't even care who Georgia plays. They can play USC. They can play Washington. Uh, they can be like Florida, go out there and play Oregon State. Uh, you know, Florida got embarrassed in their bowl game a year ago. Hopefully Georgia would play better. Uh, but the point is, I don't care who Georgia plays in Las Vegas. I think a lot of dog fans would like the idea of taking over Las Vegas to kick off a football season sometime in the very near future. I think most Georgia fans would say, sign me up for that. That is good stuff. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. So, always a uh, lot of fun stuff with all of that um i don't know if we have the technology to be able to do this but michael yesterday i was supposed to give a shout out to our friends at the finish laundry i wasn't able to do that do you have that fired up in there right now yeah look at that boy we, talk about just just on demand you can just click every whatever button you want to so let me give a quick shout out to my friends at the Finnish Long Drink. Because speaking of being in Las Vegas, enjoying maybe maybe the possibility of a cocktail prior to the start of a, a football game. Obviously, if you're thinking about cocktail this time of year, you want a ready to drink cocktail uh, that comes right there in the can. You know, no mixed drink that you have to you know have to you don't have to be a professional mixologist to figure out how to do this. It's already made for you. Just pop the top and enjoy it, or pour it into a glass, whatever you want to do. That is what the Finnish Long Drink is all about. And if you've never tried it, you've heard me talk about it, but you've never tried it before. Great time to go to thelongdrink.com and find out what it's all about. You you can get one of those eight can variety packs, which is two different cans of each of the four finished long drink varieties. Or you can pick out the variety that you think would be best for you, whether it's long drink cranberry, uh, long drink strong, eight and a half percent alcohol by volume, long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar, traditional blue can grapefruit flavor gin kick that's probably the one i like the best whichever way you want to go that is what the finished long drink is all about so find it online thelongdrink.com put in your zip code you can find out beverage store bar a lot of golf courses things like that where you can pick that up today and as we say goodbye to you uh we'll do so in style with our golden shoe i mentioned earlier a moment ago the days like this is days where i would really like to be on a royal caribbean cruise vacation and uh, it's cold, you know, the news hasn't been quite as pleasant as I would like for it to be. But either way, listen, you soldier on, you do what you got to do. Uh, and it just gets me excited about how much longer until I am on that Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. We have a golden shoe with that in mind. Our buddy High Dog, we've showed you him before, but he had sent me this picture there of, well, of him enjoying a little beverage with a uh, Dog Nation koozie there in Roatan, Honduras. Great place to go. Royal Caribbean Cruise Vacations take you there, and he tags Royal Caribbean in that. So, Hyde, we will give you another golden shoe because, listen, we are all jealous of anybody who's out there on a Royal Caribbean Cruise Vacation right now. Golden shoe coming your way there for that. Lousy, stinking Gators, I mentioned. They were embarrassed by Oregon State and Las Vegas to end their bowl game. They're going to be embarrassed in Jacksonville later on this fall, 226 days from right now. That is your Gatorade countdown. We'll see you tomorrow at Doc Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp.